0: Today, in our study in the Gospel of Luke, as we continue now in the 15th chapter, we come to the third of three parables there in the chapter. In these parables, Jesus himself has been revealing to us the nature of God. Now, don't get over that this morning. Jesus God Himself, Jesus, is teaching and He's revealing to us what God looks like. Very simply this morning, if you want to know what God looks like, if you want to know what kind of God we serve, God Himself says, I'm like this. He reveals Himself to us. Now I'm always more and more impressed by God's Word, I really am, and I'm I'm so impressed by this 15th chapter of Luke as God has shown us as sinners, as God has shown us as sinful people how He addresses sinners. Now think about the magnitude of that. God Himself owes us nothing. We're sinful people and yet He shows us as sinners how He addresses sinners. He tells us why He would even receive sinners, what we see in verse 2. Remember as we've looked at the parables. remember in the first parable, the, the parable of the lost sheep, He shows us God's love for sinners. He shows us the shepherd's love, leaving the 99 in search of the one. Then remember in the second parable, the parable of the lost coin, he shows us the value that he, that God places on sinners. He shows us the value that He places on sinners. We saw last week how the value placed on a sinner is what motivates the extent of the effort to save the sinner, and we see that value in the cross of Calvary. Oh, how God values us even as sinners. Then, today we move to this third parable. My favorite of the three parables, and in it, I believe we see the greatest thing I believe about our God. You wonder, well, what is the greatest thing about our God? I believe this is the greatest thing about our God. And that is His grace toward sinners. His grace toward sinners. Now, I've said it before, but I'll tell you, His love, as awesome as it is, His love without grace is love that I can never realize because of my sin. His value given to me Without grace is a value that can never be redeemed because of my sin. But, oh, our God shows us his grace. Now, I I was sitting there thinking about the greatest thing about our God, and I love how his grace is revealed to us, and I couldn't help but hear that song. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater. Than all our sin. Well, I want to tell you, the next couple of weeks, this week and the next two weeks, we're going to see our God of great grace. Our message today is entitled A Survey of the Son. A Survey of the Son. We're in Luke chapter 15. Today we're going to look at verses 11 to the very first part of verse 20. Again, Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to the first part of verse 20. A Survey of the I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 11, it says this. And he said, Jesus is speaking, and he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we're thankful for you. I'm thankful for how awesome it is that you yourself would reveal yourself to sinners such as I. To a sinful people that you would reveal yourself that we wouldn't have to guess and we wouldn't have to wonder but we would know this is the God that we serve. This is the God that we worship. We come today and I pray that in in the fellowship of this service today that you have been honored, that you've been worshiped, that our love for you has been made known. I pray now as we begin to study your word, I pray that it's a supernatural event empowered by the Spirit of God. I pray that you would speak to us, that you would lead us, that you would teach us, that you would train us, that you would convict us. And all of that would be that we would grow in depth. We would grow in love. We would grow in our understanding of who you are. I pray for some in this hour, this service, that do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray that today in the preaching of your word and the hearing of your word and the drawing of your spirit, that they might put their faith in Christ. We tell you today, we submit this hour to you. We tell you we love you. And we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Secular humanism is a belief set that, that very simply follows that humans are the center of everything, that Logic and reason and morality all have a human origin. It follows this thought of of secular humanism. It follows that human fulfillment and human purpose all come from living basically what we would just call a happy life. If you're going to be fulfilled, if you're going to have a sense of purpose, that's going to be derived from the fact that you have a happy life. A humanist chaplain At Stanford University, and yes, evidently there is such a thing. Uh, You could bet it would be in California if there is one. But a humanist chaplain at Stanford University summed up secular humanism like this. He said, we pursue the things that make us happy and avoid the things that do not. And that's secular humanism. That's what he says. We pursue the things that would make us happy and we avoid the things that do not. If we notice, over the last several decades, 30 years or so, we have seen the rise of what I would call Christian humanism. And while we wouldn't say it in practice today, many people are acting like humans are the focus of Christianity. Humans are the focus of Christian practice. And, And it is a belief that God exists and Christ exists to serve us. He exists to make us happy and to help us to escape the things that would make us unhappy. And that's really the end thing today. That's really the movement today. And it is a growing movement. It is about how can God bless you and how can God Himself serve you and and how can God honor you. And really it's Christian humanism, but be sure today it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. A couple of days ago... I was reading an interview in a Christian magazine that I received. And it was an interview of the guy who wrote the book, The Shack. Popular book. Now it's going to be a popular movie coming out very soon. And the author of the book said this. He said his goal was to raise our view of humanity. His goal was that we would see that God rescues the most elegant. And beautiful masterpieces. Now maybe I'm wrong today, but I believe our problem as humans is not that we think too little of ourselves, but I believe the problem today is we think too little of God. And the truth of the Bible is that in order to truly see God, if you want to truly know God, we have to honestly see ourselves. Now don't amen too loudly today, but I'm going to tell you, I am far from an elegant, beautiful masterpiece. And I'll just tell you, my hope and my only hope is that a God of great grace would come and he would rescue even me. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, in our parable today, it is the same. Over the next few weeks, we're going to see the magnificent grace of God. I believe the greatest attribute, we could go on and on about that, but I believe we're going to see the greatest thing about our God, the amazing grace of our God. But in order to see it, we have to see ourselves. And more importantly, in order to see that, we have to understand that tremendous grace, we have to see our sin. And so on our way to seeing our gracious God, we have to start at a survey of this prodigal son. And if we're honest today, in this survey, we're going to see ourselves. And so today, in order to see the graciousness of our father, we're going to start by looking at this son. Let's go and look at our verses beginning in verse 11. Verse 11. And he said... A man had two sons. Jesus is going to paint the picture. He's going to launch into another parable. And he said, a man had two sons. The starting place today is with two sons. Where we started with a hundred sheep and where we started with ten coins, we now start with two sons. Understand today, this is intensely personal. Understand, every aspect of this is intensely personal. This man has two sons. He has two beloved and two valued sons. Now understand the context of this. In this culture, in that time, a son was a desired thing. The son was a sign of God's blessing. A son was an heir, a son had a place in the family. A son carried the authority and the respect that was ascribed to that family and more specific, that was ascribed to the father of that family. And understand in context, to be the son of an esteemed father was a valued thing. It was an esteemed thing. And with all that that means, it says here, and this man has two sons. Now for me today, I can start to grasp that. I can start to feel that. I also have two sons. And I know the joy and I know the pride and I know what it feels like to have these two sons. Well, it starts with the two sons. And in line of that, the parable begins. Look at verse 12. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. First, today, as we survey this son, we see the truth today that in sin, he separated himself from the father. As we survey the son today, the first thing we see is in sin, he separated himself. From the Father. Understand today, according to the Jewish law, and you can look that up in, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, it's recorded there. According to the Jewish law, the the oldest son was due two-thirds of the estate. The younger son would have received a third of the estate. However, to ask for it before the father was dead, or before the father was rendered incapacitated, was an act of outrageous rebellion really for this to happen it was it was really to divorce oneself from his own family really it was to divorce oneself even more shamefully from his own Father, It was to say to the Father, I no longer wish to be associated with you. It was to say, I no longer desire to be under your care or under your provision. I no longer desire to be under your authority. And really it says to the Father, I no longer wish to have anything to do with you. Now imagine that. If a son made this request, Jewish tradition allowed the father to have a funeral and count the son as dead. And So we see here this son in his sin has now separated himself from the father. I want you to imagine today the heart of this father. Understand this morning, in our sin we do the same. In our sin, we divorce ourselves from our Heavenly Father. In our sin, we declare our independence from Him. We declare our indifference toward Him. In sin, we separate ourselves from our Father. Imagine His heart as well. Look at verse 13. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now as we move on, as we progress in the survey of the son, we see second today in sin, he sought to satisfy himself. He sought to satisfy himself. The Bible says here that he entered into riotous living. One translation says that. Our translation says he entered into loose living. It really translates, he entered into wasteful living. Verse 30, if you look down there, it says it includes wasting his wealth on prostitutes. Now I want you to see two things here in the 13th verse. The first is this. Notice that it says, and not many days later. And not many days later. It literally translates. it literally means, and very soon. Notice here, quickly after leaving the father, after leaving the care and the authority of the father, he is found in wasteful, loose living. Understand today, it is a short jump from entering into sin and then being consumed with sin. This young man at home evidently had a wicked heart, evidently he had a wicked motivation, but he is now found in wicked action. Understand, it is a quick progression, and sin always escalates. Second thing to note here, see this, his goal is now to satisfy himself. He's thrown off the authority of his family. He's thrown off the responsibility due to his father, and his goal is now to satisfy himself. And he seeks his good, and he seeks his pleasure, and he takes his new wealth, and he enters into Loose living. Be clear today as well. Today, our sin, and I mean all of our sin, is a demonstration that we want our will instead of God's. Sin, our sin, all of our sin is is a demonstration that we're seeking to, to satisfy ourselves instead of living for the honor of our God. Look at verse 14. And now when he had spent everything... A severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. As we continue on in the survey of the sun, we find now that in sin, he now suffers. In sin, he now suffers, where for a short while he had a good time perhaps, for a short while he lived in excess, when for a short while he lived in pleasure and sought self-satisfaction, Understand it was short-lived. Understand it ran out and it, it did not last. Get this today. Hear this today. That is always true. Be sure and understand today, sin always, and I mean always, will end in suffering. Just mark that down. Sin will end in suffering, not sometimes. Not if it's a bad enough, a grievous enough sin. Not if you're caught in that sin. Sin always, all sin brings suffering. And so he finds the son, and he is now suffering. Verses 15 and 16. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. Now in the survey of the son, we see that in sin, the son is now shamed. In sin, in that sin, the son is now shamed. Understand this son, he was a Jew. Those who were hearing this parable, they were also Jewish, and they would have easily caught this point. Understand, for a Jew, pork or pigs were considered unclean. They were considered as filth. They were marked as ungodly, and to be around them or or to eat them, but for sure to, to stand with them and to slop with them and to feed them was an absolute disgrace for a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we see here in these verses, this son separated from the family, this son who sought to satisfy himself, this son who's now suffering for his sin is now disgraced in his sin. He is shamed in his sin. Let me slow down here for just a second. Sin, all sin brings disgrace. Do you realize that? All sin brings shame. Today, the world that we live in, Satan tries to paint it as, as acceptable. And maybe it's fun and maybe it's a cool thing. And even the worst of it, the most vile sins today, people say, well, that's no big deal. We can excuse it in certain ways. Satan and the world try to slowly inoculate us to sin. And they try to to slowly cause us to overlook it and to, to come to the point that we would even accept it. I want us to understand today for us, made in the image of a holy God, it is a shameful thing. It is a disgraceful thing. It is a disgusting thing. Sin is shameful. Now see this son. This precious son, this beloved son, one day was wrapped in a blanket and he was handed in pride to that dad. Later days he played there in the yard and you could hear him laugh with his his brother as they played there in the yard. As he grows up and as he as he grows into a young man, he even starts to look like his dad. And and you look at this son and he brings joy to the father. He brings hope and pride to this father. Oh, how this son is so loved. But look at how he stands. He's now separated from his father. His self-serving ways have now resulted in suffering and now he suffers and his heart is broken and his, his physical body now suffers and he is alone. And more than that, he's now marked by sin and he stands and he's disgraced in his sin. And that is the son now. Because of his sin, he's absolutely right in verse 19 when he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. see, that's the honest fact. That's the truth of it. He divorced his father. He left his father. He's right when he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Picture this son now as he stands there and he's now ashamed and he's alone and he's disgraced and he stands there and he bears the signs of his sin. That's the son. Picture the dad as well. How heartbroken he must have been. How upset he must have been. How his heart must have hurt as he he pictured his son. Oh, that I could just see my son again. Picture the dad. Verse 17. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying. Sin brings death. But I am dying here with hunger. In the survey of the son, we see now that in his sin, and now aware of his sin, probably because he is now suffering in his sin, aware of that sin, the Bible says he comes to his senses. Listen to me today. To see God's grace, to see and to know God's heart, we have to honestly see our sin. I want to tell you today, friends, we can elevate what we think of humanity. We can decide today in, in, our, in our arrogance that we're going to overlook the reality of sin. We can paint it as it's it's not so bad. It's just, it's just part of the life that we lead. We can declare today in the church we're not going to preach on it. We're not going to teach on it. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to go back and, and measure ourselves according to God's standard in His own word. But I want to tell you, if we do neglect our sin, we will never understand the great grace of our God. The Bible says all of us have sinned. All of us. The Bible says all of our sin, all of it, it's evil and it's wicked and it's an assault against a holy God. And We stand like that son and we're alone and we're ashamed in our sin and we suffer because of it. But it's then that we see the grace of our loving God. Praise God for his grace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and I'm thankful for your truth. I'm thankful that in your word we can see the sin and what sin always brings. We see the state of the sun wrapped in that sin, but we also can start to see the grace of God. I pray that, I pray that we, would, we would respond to that and our hearts would yearn to know you and to follow you and to submit to you. we see your grace. I also come and I can't ignore the sin. Forgive us where we make light of it. Forgive us where we want to explain it away. Forgive us where we want to become piece, piece, piece by piece inoculated to it and it doesn't upset us anymore. Help us to understand that sin always brings suffering. Sin always brings death and it's disgusting and it's shameful in your sight. But seeing that also help us to see the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus Christ. I tell you today, I praise you, and I worship you, and I love you, and I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.